Hello listeners, welcome to mini lectures in otorhinolaryngology by Dr. Yashweer. Today we are going to talk about facial nerve and its disorders. Facial nerve is a mixed nerve with 10,000 motor, sensory and parasympathetic fibers. Motor root has around 7,000 special visceral efferent fibers, whereas around 3,000 sensory and parasympathetic fibers carried by nervous intermediates, which is also called as nerve of Risberg. It is a nerve of the second branchial arch, secretomotor to lacrimal, submandibular and sublingual glands. Facial nerve carries taste from anterior two-third of the tongue and has a tortuous course through the posterior fossa, temporal bone and finally through the parotid gland. This kind of a course renders this cranial nerve vulnerable to many neoplastic, traumatic and infectious events causing its paralysis. Motor nucleus of the nerve is situated in the pons. The upper part of the nucleus which innervates the forehead muscles receives fibers from both the cerebral hemispheres whereas lower part of the nucleus which supplies lower face gets only crossed fibers from one of the hemispheres. Function of the forehead muscle is thus preserved in lesions of the in supra, supranuclear lesions. Now coming to the course of the facial nerve. Facial nerve arises from pons and courses around 12 mm to the medial end of the internal acoustic meatus. This is the intracranial portion. Within the meatus, it is anterior to the superior vestibular nerve divided by the bell, bill's bar and above the falciform crest. So, it is anterior to the superior vestibular nerve and superior to the cochlear nerve. Around 10 mm is the length of the nerve in the meatal portion. Then comes the intratemporal portion which is divided into labyrinthine segment, tympanic segment and mastoid segment. Labyrinthine segment is the shortest but most vulnerable. Around 3 to 4 mm, it passes through the narrowest part of the fallopian canal and also is the common site of pathological temporal bone fractures and Bell's palsy. Tympani segment runs from the geniculate ganglion to the pyramidal turn for around 11 mm and the mastoid segment descends 13 mm to exit from the stylomastoid foramen. Once it exits, the nerve extends around 15 to 20 mm from the stylomastoid foramen to form pes ansarinus which is also called as goose foot which is the final peripheral branches of the facial nerve. So, facial nerve 
at the geniculate ganglion gives a large superficial petrocell branch which joins along with the large deep petrocell nerve and two together forms the median nerve which supplies or which ends at the spinopalatine ganglion other than the large superficial petrocell nerve it gives a external superficial petrocell nerve and a small superficial petrocell nerve the small superficial petrocell nerve joins the otic ganglion and from the otic ganglion a communicating branch goes along with the lingual nerve the small superficial petrocell nerve also gives a communicating branch to the tympanic plexus which is over the promontory as the nerve goes ahead it gives a branch to the stapedius and a communicating branch to the auricular branch of vagus further ahead it gives a large branch that is the cauda tympani nerve which passes through the between the malleus and the incus to supply the anterior two third of the tongue after giving a cauda tympani branch it courses ahead and exits from the temporal bone through the stylomastoid foramen as it comes out the first branch it gives is the postauricular branch and then muscular branches to digastric and stylohyoid finally it forms pes anserinus so the branch final branch of the facial nerve first it divides into two terminal branches the upper is the temporo cervical temporofacial and the lower is the cervicofacial the two terminal branches ultimately form five branches which is temporal zygomatic buccal mandibular and cervical nerve there is a mnemonic to remember this that is tum zyada bakwas mat karo that is temporal zygomatic buccal mandibular and cervical so facial nerve supplies that is efferent supply is to the muscles of the facial expression postauricular muscle stylohyoid posterior belly of digastric stapedius muscle and also to the glands that is lacrimal submandibular and sublingual whereas it is efferent that is taste from anterior two third of the tongue to the nucleus tractus solitarius and sensation from the posterior axonotary canal concha ear lobe and deep parts of the face so once again the branches of the facial now the main branches are greater superficial petrocell nerve or large superficial petrocell nerve nerve to stapedius cauda tympani postauricular nerve communicating branches muscular branches to stylohyoid posterior belia digastric and finally peripheral branches that is pes anserinus now before i talk about facial nerve paralysis there are some surgical landmarks during the ear surgery and the parotid surgery which is important to know to prevent damage of this nerve during the surgery during the ear surgeries or mastoid surgeries there are 
few landmarks. I'm going to name one each one of them. One is the geniculate ganglion lies superior to the processus cochlearyformis. Second genu of the facial nerve is just inferior to the lateral superior semicircular canal. Facial nerve lies above the oval window niche. Incus lies lateral to the facial nerve. Facial nerve runs behind the pyramid. Facial nerve lies around 6 to 8 mm inferior to the tympanomastite suture. And finally, the digastric ridge which is close to the mastoid segment of the facial nerve. So all these areas, when we are close to these important structures, we should be able to preserve the facial nerve by getting damaged. During the parotid surgery, few important landmarks are tragal pointer, which is around 1 cm that is, facial nerve is around 1 cm deeper and inferior to the tragal pointer, that is the tip of the tragal cartridge. Nerve lies lateral to the styloid process, superficial to the retromandibular vein, and also the nerve bisects the angle between the posterior belly of digastric and the ear canal. If we miss to identify the nerve through all these areas, another way to identify the facial nerve during parotid surgery is by doing a retrograde dissection that is following the peripheral branches of the facial nerve backwards to identify the facial nerve like through the buccal branch we can do a retrograde dissection to find the facial nerve. Now coming to different causes of the peripheral facial paralysis. So, we have a broad division of extracranial cause, intratemporal cause and intracranial cause. In the extracranial cause, there are traumatic causes that is facial lacerations, blunt force trauma, penetrating wounds, mandibular fractures, iatrogenic during a surgery that is parotid surgery and sometimes that can be a congenital paralysis. Neoplastic extracranial causes are parotid tumors, there is malignant parotid tumors, tumors of the external canal and the middle ear, facial nerve, neuronimus, and metastatic lesions. In the intratemporal course, there can be intratemporal lesions. The neoplastic lesions intratemporally, which can affect facial nerve, are glomus tumors. Facial neuromas, hemangiomas, meningiomas, acoustic neuroma, and squamous cell carcinoma. Traumatic causes, that is fracture of the petrous pyramid, fracture temporal bone, especially the transverse type of fracture temporal bone, which can affect the facial nerve, penetrating injuries, and iatrogenic injuries during mastoidectomies. Infectious causes, like herpes zoster otitis, acute otitis media, chronic otitis media, and malignant otitis externa. And then finally, the idiopathic causes which affects the facial nerve in its intratemporal region is Bell's palsy, which is one of the most common causes of facial paralysis, and also Melkerson Rosenthal syndrome. In the intracranial course of the facial nerve, 
it can have neoplastic lesions congenital causes like mobius syndrome or absence of a motor units of the facial nerve and iatrogenic injury during the intracranial surgeries now coming to evaluation of the facial paralysis so facial nerve can be mainly evaluated by clinical examination electrodiagnostic testing and topographic topo graphic testing let's see what each one of them evaluation of facial paralysis the presence of a peripheral facial paralysis demands a complete head and neck examination with otoscopy and cranial nerve evaluation characteristics of a facial paralysis at rest less prominent wrinkles on the forehead of the affected side that is eyebrow will be droop flattened nasolabial fold will be seen and corner of the mouth will be turned down if the patient is asked to wrinkle his forehead the patient is unable to do so by raising the eyebrow wrinkle of the nasolabial fold is also lost if the patient is asked to show teeth or purse his lips which these things can lead to deviation of the mouth and also inability to completely close the eye because the peripheral branches like temporal branch is required for raising the eyebrow zygomatic is required for tightly shutting the eye buckle is required for showing of the teeth and mandibular nerve is required for whistling and puckering of the lips so all these functions will be lost in facial paralysis another important clinical finding i would like to mention here is bell's phenomena mind you this is different from bell's palsy bell's phenomena is basically a visible vertical rotation of the globe on closing of the affected eye so this is a normal phenomena which happens with every normal individual but because of inability to close the eyelid this normal visible rotation of the globe is seen and that is called as bell's phenomena so characteristics of a central facial paralysis because of uncrossed contribution from the ipsilateral supranuclear areas movements of the frontal and the upper orbicular orbicularis oculi muscle tend to be spared in central lesions so facial movement may be present on the affected side during emotional expressions that means the emotions are preserved and also there will be presence of lacrimation and salivation so clinically if these things are preserved that means the lesion of the facial paralysis is supranuclear or central there are few electrodiagnostic testing which also can be used to diagnose the lesion or the facial paralysis that is nerve excitability test electroneurography and electromyogram now another important 
evaluation which can be done is the topographic testing because this is a testing which can be done clinically and also helps in determining the anatomical level of the peripheral lesion. The tests which can be done are Schirmer's test, stepidial reflex, electrogastrometry or taste test and submandibular salivary flow test. Schirmer's test is a quantitative evaluation of the tear production. We use litmus papers to keep in the lower palpable conjunctiva and see for the wetness of the litmus paper. If the unilateral wetness is reduced by more than 30% of the opposite side or if the bilateral tearing is reduced to less than 25 mm after 5 minutes period, then the Schirmer's test is considered to be significantly positive and this implies a lesion at the facial nerve proximal that is above to the geniculate ganglion. Then comes the stepidial reflex. Impedance audiometry can record the presence or absence of a stepidial muscle contraction to sound stimuli above the hearing threshold. Absence of this reflex is due to a lesion proximal to the stepidious nerve. So, if the Schirmer's test is normal and stepidious reflex is absent, then we can say the nerve is damaged somewhere between the geniculate ganglion and the second branch that is in the branch to stepidious. So, this is how we can do a topographic diagnosis. Electrogastrometry or taste sensation can be checked from the anterior two-third of the tongue to see whether the lesion is above the chordotympani nerve. Also, measures of the saliva secreted in the submandibular gland can also be a topographic testing. Now, before I end my mini lecture, I would like to say something about the common facial paralysis that is the idiopathic facial palsy, Bell's palsy and Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. Bell's palsy is the most common cause of facial paralysis. Etiology of this paralysis is still unknown. That is why it is named idiopathic. But there is some theories suggesting that the inflammatory response in the facial nerve near the labyrinthine segment leads to compression and ischemia of the nerve and leads to paralysis. So, all the lower motor or infranuclear type of facial paralysis which we have discussed earlier, all the findings are seen in Bell's paralysis. That is, muscles of facial expression will be affected and Bell's phenomena will also, will also be seen. Topographic test and other tests can be done in these cases to come to a diagnosis. As a treatment, steroids are the mainstay of treatment in these patients where an adult patient is given around 60 mg of steroids and slowly tapered prednisolone or methylprednisolone can be given along with an antiviral that is acyclovir 
800 milligram five times a day can also be added. Other than this, we have to take care of the eye by giving glasses so that eye or the cornea is not damaged because the blink reflex is absent on that side. Tearing may be absent, so we might have to give an artificial tears to complement that. And finally, we have to wait for the nerve to recover on its own. Most of the patients recover by this treatment. Very few, very rarely, may not recover. And if the patient does not recover for 6 months, then we can plan for a surgical decompression through the transmastoid approach and decompress the facial nerve up to the labyrinthine segment. Another common disease what we see as an autologist is the Ramsey-Hont syndrome. This is basically reactivation of the herpes zoster virus which causes severe pain in the ear that is otalgia, facial weakness and a vesicular eruption on the concha with facial paralysis. Again, the labyrinthine segment is the one which is affected and acyclovir is the treatment of choice. A difference between this and the Bell's palsy is the vesicular eruption which is formed at the concha and sometimes may be present on the anterior two-third of the tongue, also a part of the palate that is on the ipsilateral side may have vesicular eruptions. So, treatment is again antiviral like acyclovir. So, thank you everyone. This was a mini lecture on facial nerve and its disorders. Hope you will enjoy. Soon, I will be releasing few more mini lectures in coming weeks. Thank you.